Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Sugar, Clinical Director and Founder of Behavioral Psych Studio in New York and Los Angeles, a practice that specializes in DBT and CBT. My team and I believe strongly in the principles espoused by Dr. Marshall Linehan, the founder of DBT, and we started our podcast to let you in on the secret. Think of DBT as a set of skills or tools that usher you toward the life you want to be living. We are here to help make those skills more accessible, providing real-world relatable examples and applications. While we hope you're able to use these skills to help you improve your life, this podcast and the content in it is not intended to be used as therapy or a substitute for it. DBT is a multimodal, comprehensive treatment intervention, and the skills you will hear us present on House on Fire are only one piece of it. However, once you've practiced these skills, you may not even realize you're using them. It will feel like riding a bike, so hop on and enjoy the ride. Hello, House on Fire listeners. We are following up with the second part of our two-part series on attachment. We're just going to dive right back into it where we stopped before and are excited to take you on the rest of this journey in which we start to integrate some of our DBT skills into how to approach owning your own attachment style. Get excited. So we are going to, I'm going to explain and provide a little bit of psycho ed on the mindfulness skill in DBT, wise mind, states of mind. So you can think about it as a Venn diagram, which if you don't remember is those two circles with an overlap in the middle. And in one circle, we have the state of mind called emotion mind. And on the other side, we have reasonable mind and where they intersect, it's called wise mind. So. Um, these states of mind, we come in and out of all of the time, all of us humans do. Emotion mind, uh, you can think of it as kind of hot, mood dependent, emotion focused. So when we are in emotion mind, our emotions, our urges, our kind of like primal automatic responses rule the show. So that's like, I'm feeling angry and I blurt out that thing that I wish I hadn't said. Or um, I'm feeling unmotivated and I'm just like, fuck it, not going to do it. Um, it's kind of like our first impulse. It's a very impulsive state of mind. So when I teach this skill, I think about cookie monster as emotion mind, like cookie, cookie, cookie. Like that is just ruled by the urges. John McEnroe at Wimbledon flinging the racket around and going completely against his wise mind goals to, duh, win the tennis tournament. Um, and then Krista Doty and James Kennedy. Yeah, add them to the list. So that is emotion mind. And then if we kind of oscillate over to the other side of the circle, the other circle, we have reasonable mind, just kind of the opposite. This is this state of mind is based on logic. It's very factual. It's cool. It's task focused. Sometimes people call this kind of doing your taxes mind. So when you are in this state of mind, emotions, your needs, your values aren't important. Um, it's just about like getting it done. Um, sometimes it can be a bit of like a perfectionistic state where we're not really taking into account what our body needs or what our relationships need. We're just kind of focused on like, like, let's just get it all done. I don't need sleep. I don't need to eat. I don't need anything. I just need to get the task done. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've heard it referred to in the past as like machine mind. And when we were ruled by that pragmatism, I, I tend to think about Spock from Star Trek or Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory, potentially even Dwight 
in the office exists in like a perpetual state of just, okay, I'm going to set a fake fire in the building to ensure that this very specific, I mean, I guess that's kind of a funky mix of all the states of mind. Yeah, actually true. I was also just thinking of, um, I don't know if he, I don't know if he's honestly reasonable mind or emotion mind, but um, Ben Stiller and Dodgeball's character is so focused on winning. Like that's all he cares about, but he also kind of lashes out an emotion mind. So he, we can switch over. We can kind of oscillate between the two. And that's often what happens is um, we spend a lot of time in reasonable mind. We neglect our needs and our emotions and then we crash and then we're just rah, 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 cookie monster, um, just doing whatever we want and kind of like neglect our schedules and whatever. Um, so the synthesis and the, the state of mind that we're, we're constantly trying to access when we're making decisions and just living our life is what we call wise mind. You can think of wise mind as your intuition, um, the part of you that just knows in your gut that this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's a combination of logic of like what we know to be true and what we know to be practical and our emotions. So we can have big emotions in wise mind. It's just like, what do we do with those emotions? Are we acting on those emotions effectively? Yeah. Validating those emotions while also acknowledging the thoughts that are coming up. I, I mean, I used to really struggle to think about an example in wise mind. I'll say like Buddha, Dumbledore, Gandalf, and also myself because I have a wise mind and I really utilize it. Like when the rubber meets the road, I will get into it. I will use my what and how, which we'll get into next episode. Yeah. You are, you are a very wise mind owl. You are a wise mind owl. I think that's my um, kind of parallel to an animal owl. I can see that for you. So how does this relate to attachment style or owning your attachment style? So if we can agree that these kind of Kristen Dowdy, um, what other characters, uh, James Kennedy, what about some avoidance? Um, Avoidance, I'm thinking about Will from Goodwill Hunting. Um, I'm thinking about Summer. From 500 Days of Summer is avoidant, right? Samantha, Sex and the City. Samantha, Sex and the City, avoidant, yes. So sometimes, you know, we don't, as I said before, secure and securely attached individuals, um, they report more happiness and satisfaction in their relationships. And with a lot of these characters that we just mentioned, they've struggled in relationships or um had a difficult time maintaining these relationships in the long term. And what we all want is connection and intimacy and love. It's just about how we kind of fit with somebody else's attachment mechanism. Um, So this isn't to say that like anxious and avoidance can never be together, right? Or they shouldn't be together. Um, There is something called the anxious avoidant trap, which is like this constant push pull loop that people get into. And that is, um, because the anxious, the fear for the anxiously attached individual is that no one can meet their needs. Like no one's going to be there for them. Like they can't, they're always going to be rejected and abandoned. And then the, the kind of self-fulfilling prophecy for the avoidant is that, um, people like let them down. Um, they're better off alone. People are smothering. 
right? So then you have the anxious person trying to get closeness, the avoidant person pulling away, and then the anxious person kind of lashing out. And then there's kind of a period of when they both want the intimacy and closeness. And then kind of the pattern continues where there's this like push pull dynamic, which can be, you know, incredibly destructive and unhealthy. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, great book recommendation for folks who have not read it. High conflict couple is Lucy does a lot of couples work. So you potentially may speak to this in greater depth, potentially on another episode. And, um, thinking about that, like engage distance pattern that is super, super challenging. I'm seeing that parallel in the responses of those different attachment styles. Exactly. Yes. And so often, um, it's probably more helpful for an insecurely attached individual, whether you're anxious or avoidant to find a secure individual or an earned secure individual, because you are more likely to become secure on your own. Um, I feel like I'm living proof of that, of my, (laughs) my husband is a securely attached individual. And although I'll always have anxious tendencies and always desire more closeness, um, I have definitely noticed that I've become a more securely attached individual through that learning. I'm, I'm super curious if you're comfortable sharing, do you have an example of like a particular behavior that potentially in the past might've been more of the kind of anxious response. One trigger for someone who has an anxious attachment could be delayed response time from their partner. Um, This could cue thoughts such as, I did something wrong, we're not connected, I'm feeling abandoned, maybe this person doesn't like me anymore. And so acting on that in emotion mind could look like maybe early on in dating, maybe for me would be pulling away as a protest behavior and in relationship might look like sending a passive aggressive text. Um, So that's something that could have occurred maybe in the past and in the present, while I still engage in emotion mind behaviors, I'm not perfect and I'm human. I'm more apt to act in wise mind. So if there's been a long delay in communication and I'm accessing wise mind, I can acknowledge my needs of I'm feeling scared or I'm feeling um, activated by my attachment style. And I have all of these instances to pull from where my husband has been consistent and shown up for me. So that space doesn't feel as scary. I also have the opportunity to practice some self-soothe skills uh, and calm my nervous system on my own. And I also have an option if it, if it fits the context to calmly and accurately communicate what I'm looking for from my partner. So, Hey, I haven't heard from you in a bit. I'd love if you could check in. So that would be an example of a more securely attached response or me owning my anxious attachment and communicating effectively or self-soothing, um, and just kind of checking the facts on my experience. So there's a lot of DBT skills that we can use, I think what allows me to be able to respond and show up in that way is being with someone who's secure. And I can share a little story of when my husband uh, and I were first starting to date and we were communicating and he was about to get in a car and drive for several hours, maybe five hours. And 
without even really knowing me that well, I could tell he was attuned to my needs and aware of my anxieties. I thought I was doing a good job hiding them, but clearly I wasn't. And he texted me right before he got in the car and said, hey, I'm going to be driving for the next few hours. So if I don't, if you don't hear from me, it's probably because I don't like you anymore. And that was such a good response because it showed that he sees me, he accepts me, he used humor, which is like my Achilles heel. So it made me laugh, it made me feel seen. Um, and I felt comfortable knowing that in the future, he would be attuned to my needs and helped me realize that I could tolerate that. Plus there was this communication of, hey, I'm gonna be gone for a bit and I'll be back in X amount of time. So that would be, you know, those types of communications with a securely attached person over time have allowed me to become more secure, allowed me to show up in a more wise mind place with my own anxious attachment. Mm. And I think that noticing that practice of, I love this person, coming back to that, being mindful of the relationship, the goals, the priorities, should you wish to continue being within this partnership with me, Lucy, like that's, that's an important key component to all of this. Cause I think if you start to go into the deep, deep judgments, it's really hard to get out of that. Absolutely. So then I think the next example we could do is imagining that let's think of a scenario where I'm anxiously attached. I'm in a motion mind. Okay. So maybe it's, um, maybe it is my, Oh, I have a great one. Um, this is real. So I remember I was really, really feeling a profound sense of if my boyfriend at the time does not come to my sister's graduation, it means a lot of things about our relationship. It means a lot of things about me and I'm alone. La 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 la. Mm -hmm. I'm alone. Okay. So your emotion mind urges, like you're, you're starting to ruminate, right? Mm -hmm. your fear kicks in, right? Your amygdala is active, fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system. You are just like your suds are rising and you're having ruminations and catastrophic thoughts. It's, it's going to end. This is going to be bad, whatever. Do you have any other urges other than to ruminate in emotion mind? To be honest, no, I, I personally don't. Would you like me to make one up? I would love you to make one up. Uh, text a bunch of times, like on and on and on and on and on. Um, Double text, triple text. Yeah, I think it's like any type of like tech related behavior seems like a reasonable emotion mind urge for the English anxiously attached. Yeah, it could. It could also be like, fine, well, then I'm not going to go to uh, that dinner that I'm supposed to go to with your family and just I'm going to ignore it. That could also be a protest behavior, right? That is such a great distinction here because I have the thought that it might be, I have the thought that like that would be potentially, I might interpret that as the avoidant component. Right. Right. Because it's the same behavior. It's shutting down. It looks like shutting down, but it's, it's coming from a, it's like an antagonistic behavior, right? I'm trying to provoke you to come closer. Whereas the avoidant is not trying to elicit closeness. They're really trying to push away, but you could withdraw as a tactic to try and get the person to come closer. And that would be considered a, a protest behavior. So in both situations, so in this situation, right, Avery, what might you do to access wise mind to be like, okay, I'm feeling activated. I'm feeling anxious. Like I'm feeling this fear of 
abandonment or rejection from my, my partner, what is a, what is a way to honor your emotions and your reason in wise mind? How do you react to that? Yeah. So I think it's actually funny because it relates to a certain extent to my managing extreme emotions protocol. Let's say my suds are super high. I'm, you know, kind of on fire doing that temp check and all right, did the crisis survival skill that I needed to maybe got a little bit mindful, check the facts. I love this person and make an outreach to articulate, you know, I don't know how necessarily effective this would be in all relationships. And I have the thought that post-rumination, post-skills use, I still articulate how I feel. I still say, I'm really going to miss you. And I'm a little sad that we're not going to be together there. And it totally makes sense that authentically, totally makes sense that you have XYZ commitment. Yeah, totally. And even if you weren't that cool as a cucumber, you even could be in wise mind, like be curious, like, Hey, I just want to check the facts here. Like, um, can you tell me why you can't come? Like, I'm feeling sad about it. And I just wanted to know, right. Like it, you could be in emotion mind or sorry, in wise mind and hold on to those emotions and be curious in a way that's not like attacking or protesting, but that's like simply coming from a place of curiosity. Yeah. I wonder too, if like, there's a component of like self-validation and all this, it makes, it makes sense that I X, Y, Z. Yeah. Of course I'm sad. Yeah. Of course I feel afraid. Of course I feel smothered. Of course I feel, um, scared, whatever it might be. I love, of course, it's so helpful. Of course. Exactly. And, you know, there's so many different examples we could use for converting, deactivating and activating strategies into kind of wise mind responses. Uh, Those responses could be to our partners, but also to ourselves. Like, how do we regulate ourselves? How do we soothe ourselves? But the last point that I, I want to really iterate is that dependency is not a bad word. And I think dependency gets a really bad rap, but we depend on people all the time. I depend on Fred to give me my paycheck every week. I depended on you, Avery, to be here at 745 so we could do the podcast. I depend on my husband to treat me with respect. I depend on so much. I depend on people for everything. And I think that we have this mindset that we have to be completely emotionally self-sufficient and that's just not realistic for human beings, right? We need connection and closeness to uh, survive and to procreate and to manage and all these other things. And I'm so glad you, you raised that point because I do think that there was something that reminded me of kind of the individualistic um, kind of hustle culture that exists in, I'll just speak to New York City, where we live. Or Western cultures in general. Exactly. And I come up out of the subway and the sky is orange and no one is looking around, questioning it. And I had this thought, like, we're just kind of powering through. And after what we've been through as a globe over the course of the last however many years it's been when COVID began, like we really have just kind of learned to trudge along. And there was a moment when I looked around and I said, what the fuck? And this older man came up and explained what was going on to me. 
And it was so relieving because I was like, thank you for taking the time to explain what's going on here. Because this is alarming and I do miss presidented times every now and again. And I appreciate that, I don't know, like we were a little bit of a collective in that moment. We were more of a community. Yeah, exactly. You were a collective. And I I think that's the part that we miss sometimes in, in Western culture is like we are so focused on like individualism and like you said, trudging along, heads down, looking at the phone. Um, and because of that, because of that culture that we have, there's all these myths created. Like, um, I'm needy. You can't be happy with someone else if you're not happy by yourself. Or I can't rely on anyone. I have to just rely on myself. Or you're strong if you are able to be emotionally self-reliant. And, and yes, there there's truth to those things. And bringing it back to Ainsworth, right? Like the, the most successful, happy, resourceful, independent people have a secure base to come home to, right? Like when you have a secure base, it gives you the strength to go out into the world and explore and go do what you want to do and be who you want to be, knowing that you have this secure base to come home to. Lucy, I have to read you something and I'll share it with our readers since we're talking about ourselves and our partnerships. Um, Marriage is a union, a partnership, a celebration that doubles your joys and halves your sorrows. It is a friendship, a meeting of souls, a place of refuge, a secure base. It is home and you are my home. And that is an excerpt. And I did not even a little bit think about that concept. And it's really cool that 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 is the reality and that there's nothing wrong with being dependent. There's nothing wrong with that dependence. In fact, it allows us to be more of who we already are. Well, Lucy, this was a pleasure and I look very much forward to many more apps along these lines. And I mean, I'm already just like thinking like we've got to talk about Rossetti and I know. I love doing these podcasts with you. I'd love to do a Fruzetti high conflict couple episode. Lucy, this was so much fun and you've taught me so much um, and so much about myself. And I'm so excited to read this book because I think for a while I've seen it all over the place and I've thought, ah, it must be overrated. Sounds like it sure ain't. Au contraire, it is not overrated. It is so good. I've read it 900 times. So for homework, I would like listeners and you, Avery, and myself, to identify one time this week um, when you have an activating or a deactivating strategy. And if you don't, because you are a securely attached individual, um, identify a time when you have been in reasonable mind or emotion mind, and then pivot, make the conscious choice to pivot into a wise mind behavior. So a more effective response to the emotion that's coming up. And then share it with us next week. Or I don't, I guess you can't share it with us because you're not on the podcast, but respond on our Instagram or something. Thank you, Lucy. For more information on House on Fire, head to our Instagram page at House on Fire Pod. Shoot us a DM. For more information on Behavioral Psych Studio, check out behavioralpsychstudio.com. Check out our show notes in the podcast description for further reading materials.